it wasn't like he enjoyed the 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 martial arts or whatever you want to call that that he used on the bad guy Russians. We'll call what it he Denzel enjoyed, What yeah, Denzel Fu, awesome. <laughs> or, or just can we abbreviate it? We'll call it Denfu. I don't know. Dodge this. I am the father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one god man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 109 of the Movie Bite Podcast. We're going to talk today about some movies. Uh, normally I would say movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and more, but we're just going to talk about two movies today. We're recording on Tuesday, October the 21st, 2014. I'm TJ, your host. I'm back. And joining me today is the man who judges and then equalizes all things. <laughs> it is Joe Darnell. How are you, Joe? Good evening, TJ. I'm doing wonderful. I feel like a superhero with that kind of entry. Good, good. That was my intention because I uh, I'm, I'm starting to feel much much better. I I felt really bad for over a week, uh, and and in fact, I was just looking on the Movie Bite website. Today is October the 21st. The hmm. last podcast that I recorded, Joe, was on September the 24th. Some of that was planned absence, and then I got sick, and some of it was not planned absence. It's been almost a month since I recorded a podcast. Yeah, you went all the way out there into Zombie Land and back again. What did it feel like? Well, I, um, you know, I wasn't all the way dead. I was just mostly dead. Uh, mm. and, uh, I had to have the, uh, the crazy, uh, uh, the crazy wizard dude, uh, revive me. Um, mm-hmm. from, yes. And, uh, so I was mostly dead. Um, not all the way dead. And, uh, I don't know. It felt very strange. I couldn't speak. I literally for like five days, I couldn't speak hardly at all. And then, Last week, I thought we were going to be able to do a podcast. I was still feeling pretty crummy, and I still couldn't speak well. I had to really push the voice to, to make it come out. So we opted to take another week off. Uh, I've been working like crazy on some cool stuff coming that'll be upcoming on Movie Bite, but it'll probably be a few months before anybody actually sees it. But yeah, that's been me. How have you been? You, you, you guys, you and uh, Michael Minkoff. Uh, I wanted to be on that episode, but you released an episode of the yeah, Movie Bite podcast. We knocked one out of the park without you. It was pretty fun, but uh, I, I it wasn't the same without you. At the same, I don't time. know how you can knock one out of the park. I don't me, know. But you, it, you did it, one I, without. I think me. you were praying over it. You were praying for us. That's, <laughs> that was the magical charm. Well, given the subject matter you had to cover, somebody had to pray for you guys. Oof. Yeah, and uh, really, what happened was, I think uh, you know, all things were against us because we started recording on one day, and I ran out of time. I had to run off and get my daughter at school, and then the next day, Michael was too busy. The following day, he rushed out to my house, and we finished recording. And we literally troubleshoot like my desk space and getting my Mac to cooperate for an hour before we were able to continue the second day. And we were both kind of drained by the time we pressed forward and we actually hit the record button, but we got a good four, uh, I'd say about 35 minutes of audio when we recorded the second time. And it felt completely, you know, consistent and it just kept on flowing. So I was pretty happy with the result. Yeah. The conversation kept flowing as, uh, and I don't know how many people noticed this. Um, I did a little light bit of editing on it you got me the files and i thank you and i put an eq on it and and stuff and 
I could tell where it transitioned. Uh, I don't know if anybody else could, but I certainly could. Um, but I, I don't think it was bad. I think it was fine. And the, and the conversation certainly flowed just fine. Um, no, I don't think anyone else could tell the difference. There were there were a couple of minor things. I don't even remember what they are now, but it's like, oh, man, I really wanted to be on the podcast because I feel like I, I, I would argue with Michael a little bit about that or this or that or whatever. But it was a good episode. I, I enjoyed listening to it. Yeah, well, you raised the the subject matter, so when they do a yes. left behind part two or you know <laughs> reboot number three, you'll have to be with us on that one. Yeah, originally I was supposed to be there talking with you and Michael Minkoff about the uh, left behind, and then we were supposed to go on and do a couple of uh, or a review of of a of a movie, but <laughs> obviously that didn't work out. So we're going to review two movies today, Joe. That's right. Hey, um, so TJ, have you seen any movies lately? Uh, yeah, you know, right before I got sick, so I don't know how well I'm going to remember this, but right before I got sick, I watched The Equalizer, uh, and mm. I believe you did too, Yeah, because we were supposed to talk about that. Yeah, and I don't know if I can remember this movie very well either, because, you know, I saw it before you got sick too, so, you know, everything goes away when TJ gets sick. All right, so so as I mentioned, we are going to be skipping the uh, movie news and stuff. As much stuff as there is to talk about, since I haven't been on a podcast for so long, uh, I, I still feel like we're just going to be better served to talk about these two films. So, The Equalizer. You catch that fish yet? Hmm? They're both. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did. It's a happy ending. Not exactly. The old man met his greatest adversary just when he thought that part of his life was over. Why didn't he just let the fish go? Old man's got to be the old man. Fish has got to be the fish. Got to be who you are in this world, right? No matter what. Yo, Pops, bet you didn't have to push no dollies at your old job, did you? Guilty as charged. Can you do a refund for me when you're done? Open the register up right now. Move. Give me that ring. No, it was my mother. Please. It's okay, Jenny. What's she doing about? It is about a guy who's a knight in shining armor, except he lives in a world where knights don't exist anymore. My ring. It was released on September the 26th of this year. It had a budget of $55 million. The opening weekend, it brought in $34.1 million, and the worldwide gross is $159.1 million. Not a bad haul. The critic consensus from Rotten Tomatoes is that The Equalizer is more stylishly violent than meaningful, but with uh, Anton Fuqua behind the cameras and Denzel Washington... Uh, dispensing justice, it delivers. You know, it's not very often they will pay attention to the cinematographer, but there you go. Yes, um, and it was uh, actually both the films that we we are going to be talking about tonight were very well, uh, uh, very good looking films. I thought very well done cinematograph- uh, cinematographically. Really, I'm, I'm uh, photographic. I, I'm, I'm my word is not coming correctly. Yeah, I think they were both really well done in that way. Um. Certainly, I think maybe even the judge more than the equalizer, but we'll get to that. So the director was Antone. Am I saying that right? Ant- Antoine? It's I, I, I would just say Antone. Antone Fuqua. Uh, writer is uh, Richard Wenk. Um, and then the stars are Denzel Washington, of course, who plays Robert McCall. He's recently been in Two Guns in Flight. Uh, he's known for Training Day and Remember the Titans and Crimson Tide and movies of that sort. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm still just getting over this throat thing. Uh, uh, also Martin, uh, Sokos. Just call uh, him Teddy. Yes. He was Teddy. I have actually seen him in two things and I'm sure everybody's seen him in at least one thing, which is Lord of the Rings where he played Celeborn, who is a uh, Galadriel's, Lady Galadriel's husband. Um, you know, the elf. 
And then uh, he was in uh, Eon Flux as Trevor Goodchild. Um, so I, I don't know. Have you seen Eon Flux? I know. Uh, I saw Lady Gladriel's, uh, you know, male friend, but I, I didn't see <laughs> that one. What, what is that one about? Oh, boy. Oh, my. You would ask me that. I, You know what? I need to find a synopsis. It is a wonderful film, believe it or not. I, I was kind of surprised when I, when I watched it. I was not expecting it to be great. It does star uh, Charlize Theron, so... Uh, perhaps I uh, should have expected it to be good. But uh, 400 years in the future, set in the year 2415, Eon Flux is a mysterious assassin. Four centuries after a virus nearly annihilated the human race, leaving only five million survivors in a utopian city called uh, Bergna. Eon is struggling to destroy the Goodchild regime left by its namesake, Trevor Goodchild, the ruler of Bergna and a descendant of the man who found found a cure for the deadly virus. As instructed by the handler, Eon is assigned to assassinate Goodchild, but there are deeper secrets to be discovered and conspiracies to be foiled. Wow. Very big movie. When did that come out? Uh, I just closed the tab. Doggone it. <laughs> uh, that came out in 2005. Hmm. I don't think um, – let me let me see. Box Office Mojo, where are you? I don't know that it was that big of a movie, uh, and certainly I didn't watch it when it came out. I um, Yeah, I'd never heard of it. Let's see. Eon Flux. Let's see. That a, was like before the internet though, right? It had a – well, 2005, sure. That was, that was you know, prehistoric times. Uh, it had a production budget of uh, $62 million, and it only brought in $52.3 million, so it didn't do well. Um, I enjoyed it, but it didn't do well. Uh, all right. So anyway, the, that's uh, that's the second person who stars in this film, <laughs> Martin <laughs> Teddy. Um, so um, Chloe Grace Moretz stars as Terry. Um, she's recently was in If I Stay. She's known kind of for the Kickass franchise, and she was in Hugo. Um, David um, Munier played uh, Slavi. He's really kind of a TV actor. I've only seen him in a Burn Notice and the TV show Revolution. Um, Johnny Scortis plays Ralphie. David Harbour plays a guy named Masters. Uh, I remember the face. I didn't remember the name before I looked him up. And surprise, Bill Pullman is in this film. <laughs> that was kind of weird, I thought, when he, when, he, when his face showed up on film, didn't Bill you? Bill Pullman? Yeah. Who's Bill Pullman? Uh, Independence Day, While You Were Sleeping, Spaceballs. Come on, man. Oh, really? <laughs> he was in this movie? Yes. Wow. It was, it was almost a cameo, not quite a cameo, because he, he did, you know, I mean, he spoke and he, you know, was there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Him. I, I, I remember who you're talking about now. I just, uh, his face blended in with the audience. I remember his younger self. Yeah, he's definitely looking older. I mean, but when you think about it, I mean, he's, uh, he's kind of more of a 90s TV actor, I guess, or I mean, a movie actor, Independence Day, While You Were Sleeping, Spaceballs was back in the 80s, I believe. Um, let's see. 1987 was when Spaceballs came out. And he was, of course, the star in Spaceballs, which I nearly can't stand that movie. Uh, <laughs> what he looks like is a leftover from the Walking Dead television show for today, honestly. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not saying he looks I'm not saying he looks dead. I'm not saying he looks like a zombie. What I'm saying is he looks like he belongs to that TV show's cast. Yeah. Like if I saw someone, uh, you know, I saw a picture of him somewhere randomly and someone said, hey, guess who this actor is? I say, I don't know. Is he in The Walking Dead? Excuse me, I was taking a drink. I thought you would take longer than that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I haven't seen The Walking Dead yet. It's on my list. Please, please don't stone me. It's on my list. Uh, just There's so many things I'm trying to watch right now. Um, I'll stone you right after I watch it. Yes, okay. So the composer was Harry Gregson Williams. Um, this is where I missed Chad. I It's been long enough. I don't remember a thing about this score. Do you? 
I do, and it was okay. It served the purpose. It was a, a real mood setter. I would not want to listen to it by itself. I mm-hmm. wouldn't p- pick it up. But yeah, it was it was good for the film. It felt like a Denzel Washington's film, so, you know, soundtrack. Okay. Uh, so Joe, this is this is the thing that you like to do now. This this is your part of the uh, the outline that we read. Yes, let's. Okay, so in The Equalizer, Denzel Washington plays McCall, a man who believes he has put his mysterious past behind him and dedicated himself to beginning a new quiet life. But when McCall meets Terry, played by Chloe Grace Moretz, a young girl under the control of ultraviolet Russian gangsters. Well, what did I just say? Ultraviolet Russian gangsters. He can't stand idly by. He has to help her. Armed with hidden skills that allow him to serve vengeance against anyone who would brutalize the helpless, McCall comes out of his self-imposed retirement and finds his desire for justice reawakened. If someone has a problem, if the odds are stacked against them, if they have nowhere else to turn, look up in the sky and you'll see McCall there for help. He is the Equalizer. All right, so um, that's the storyline for the Equalizer. Um What'd you think? I was uh, not expecting the dark, seedy tone of the entire film um, really? going I into was. it. It was a bit darker than I had expected. Mm. I expected the blood to be drained out of my cheeks, but not quite this much. There were several times when I kind of had to turn away from from it, but I, I actually expected it. Um, there also felt like there was a clash between the more hopeful scenes where you saw McCall interacting with the folks from Home Mart. And uh, <laughs> yes. his place of work in his day job where he was like, it just seemed like he was doing everything at Home Depot. He basically run the place, but he wasn't a manager. And so he'd be in any given department from scene to scene. And that's cool because Denzel doesn't look like he could be tied down to any particular part <laughs> right. of construction. Right. But yeah, it was all well and good. And in those scenes, you had chummy people who seemed very folksy and down to earth and part of rural America. But then in these other scenes, everything was dark, all dark, 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 dark. And it was like out of something like uh, the dark side of the dark night. You know, it was it was always very grim and it was always nighttime. Yeah, It was like the dark side of the dark night, but without the PG-13 rating. Yeah, it was the yeah. R rating. Uh, yeah, very violent. It was like one of the Fingledy comic books, graphic novels these days. And that's, you know, that's something interesting. And actually, um, I, I want to kind of dispute something that you said in last week's episode, but we'll, we'll get to that. Um, it's kind of interesting how Denzel Washington tends to be in pretty violent R-rated films. Uh, and yet he uh, describes himself as a devout Christian. Um you know, he, did you he, want to debate that or no, what no, did you have in, I wanted uh, have to debate what you said where Denzel Washington doesn't kiss girls on screen and I've seen him kiss more than once. So I don't know what you're talking about. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm only reading what he says in an interview and he is an actor, so he'll say anything in an interview. Well, but I, I, I think that he does try to avoid, like he doesn't actually do actual uh, sex scenes. I don't think, but he doesn't mind getting nude, you know, or he doesn't mind people in his films getting nude or seeing them nude. And okay. He, yeah. Because yeah. I, yeah, I saw flight. Um, and yeah, he, he, he was in bed with a woman and the woman was getting up and getting dressed and stuff in that scene. Right. We didn't see an actual sex scene, but it was indicated. Well, that's the sort of thing I'm talking about. Like he does okay. have a line. It's just not quite where you drew it. Oh, um, so, so that's the kind of scene that you're talking about where he will have scenes where he is with women and he's had relations. Yeah, His character and, has had relations. Yes. And well, and he also okay. uh, passionately kissed her and, and I've seen other. Really? Uh, okay. I don't yeah. remember that. Yeah, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, you can't believe anything you read in Reader's Digest anymore. <laughs> 
so yeah he but but it is interesting like he he grew up um or he he grew up in a christian home under a minister and then he kind of was rebellious but then he had a an experience shall we say and um and he he's been a devout christian ever since um and he tries to do films that he feels uh, have a, a character arc that is redeeming or that somehow has a story that is uh, worthy of something that he would like to do uh, and worthy of, of, of you know, him as a Christian, which which is interesting because I grew up in a home, Joe, where we weren't allowed to watch Denzel Washington films. I grew up in a home where we didn't even know who Denzel Washington was. Right. Well, I didn't really either. I just, And that was because yeah. it, they were so violent. I think that my parents would have enjoyed the, the movies if they were a bit cleaner, like something like a Harrison Ford's The Fugitive or something oh, yeah. else like that. Yeah. And I think that Denzel has made some choices in his career that set him up as the 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 I don't want to say profile, but he or or typecasting, but he has been pegged for certain kinds of movies, and it's very much a a um, commercial experience because when you see Denzel's name attached to a certain film, you're going to expect certain things because you know four times out of five he is in the exact same kind of film. Well, yeah, and and he really he uh, he has been kind of cast as I mean the type of movie that he's in is the Equalizer. Like those are the types of movies that he does, right? Um, I, I would say this is a very Denzel film of of you know of all Denzel's films, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say? Yeah, the, the, my introduction to him was the Manchurian Candidate, and I really enjoyed that film. But at the same time, it was really uh, you know thrilling and in the uh, sort of like uh, gets under your skin sort of way. And I think that that actually makes for good entertainment at times when it's mixed with the right balance of heroism and uh, good cinematography and great delivery and characters that you can really appreciate. There's nothing wrong with making a film that's very intense and perhaps even stressful for people who are less experienced with such films. But you have to be careful because I think that you you can introduce people to films like this too early on or without oh, sure. with like the without the right protocols, if you will, for uh, someone for who's instance, new to this kind of thing. None of my kids would be allowed to watch this movie probably before they were I don't know eighteen. I'm probably stressing my point a little too my heart too far. But I mean, I certainly wouldn't let my eight year old kid watch this film. But it's not. I'm not saying that it's not a film that shouldn't be made. Like I think that we should be able to tell stories like this. I even said in my in, in my review on Movie Bite um, that. Uh, here, okay, I'll, I'll read the exact sentence. Um, I was comparing uh, Denzel's last film that I saw, Flight, uh, uh, and I said I had some quibbles with that film, and I think that the sex scenes could have been portrayed without showing us nudity. And yes, I do think that films can and should portray sex scenes when the story calls for it, but that's another conversation. I just figured that might be a little controversial, but I, I think that um, even though I'm a, a Christian, uh, and, and you are too, and, and that's kind of you know always in the background, even though we don't always talk about it, that underscores everything we do and believe, right? No, I, I mean, yeah, it's not our shtick, but it's definitely something that's influenced what we watch it, and how we talk about it. It affects our worldview, but I think that we need to be able to tell good stories uh, and I think that this story was a good one to tell, even though ultimately I had some questions about the execution of the story. I didn't have any problem with the story itself. It was a fine story to tell. And just because it's a, a story for older, more mature people doesn't mean that it's not a story that we shouldn't tell. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it, that's that's only natural. I mean, like we are Christians, like you already brought up, and a lot of the Bible stories are every bit as graphic or detailed as uh, stories like these. We just don't often talk about them to our kids in Sunday school, you know, but they just, do come up and they should come up when you're Bible reading, when you're studying the word of God. Just like I wouldn't necessarily read my eight-year-old the Song of Solomon right now. 
No, or, you know, the life of David beyond the David and Goliath situ- yeah, some situation. Of that, some of that stuff is hard. So anyway, these are these are stories we can tell. Um, and, and this was a good one to tell. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, the, the setup here is that uh, Robert McCall is kind of this black ops CIA um, guy, and he really kind of can do no wrong. If I have a quibble with the film, that's kind of it, is, is it, the film never lets him really do any wrong. He doesn't have anywhere to go. His character has nothing to grow, but sometimes that's fun, and, and it, I certainly enjoyed seeing him always in control of the situation, um, where you would think, oh, what's he going to do? And next thing you know, he's holding the gun, and like it all seemed... Mm, to some extent plausible like this guy's pointing a gun at him but you know and all of a sudden denzel pulls a smooth move and denzel's got the gun right I yeah really that was actually that. the first time that you see him go into all uh spy action territory and yes. you didn't know for sure whether or not he'd be that kind of man but you kind of suspected it based on his attention to detail and how slowly he would move. It was mm. all very deliberate motion. Like he had complete control of his body. And that was something that I really liked about the character for Robert McCall and how Denzel portrayed him. He, he got him as this guy who would be for the most part, very relaxed in his own skin. He would always stand up straight, but he was always very loose. Like he was at ease, yeah. you know, military style. Yeah, for sure. And, th- and that's how he was. Even when he was working while everybody else at home, Mart is sweating while they're standing at the cashier station or whatever because that's too hard for them. Denzel's character, Robert, it's like it's easy for him. And then when he goes into action mode, there's always a trigger. Did you notice the trigger? I mean, oh, like, the, yeah, yeah you sure. can't, you cannot, yeah, you'll never forget this. But his character always wants to time the uh the uh the punishment he's going to inflict on the evil mm-hmm. doers yep so he gets his stopwatch ready he starts it and he goes into his his like robot maniacal warrior mode and he do he just blows them to smithereens with his hands and then he stops his watch and sees how long it took and he he, he also guesses ahead of time how long it would take him to do it and that's part of his um that's part of his mystique like I don't know if that was really necessary, but it was interesting. Yeah, kind yeah of. it was. It was a character aspect, you know. It gave. They him proved some depth. the point that he was very methodical, and he had loads of experience. And at the same time, he, it wasn't like he enjoyed the 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 martial arts or whatever you want to call that that he used on the bad guy Russians. We'll call what it he Denzel enjoyed. Fu. What? Yeah, Denzel Fu, awesome. <laughs> or just can we abbreviate it? We'll call it Denfu. I don't know. Uh, but anyway. when he uses that, uh, he it's like he wasn't enjoying the violence for the violence's sake. He enjoyed how well he could do it. Well, yeah, he and, and he'd actually tried to to quit as we saw at the beginning of the film. He had tried, he, you know, he was off the grid, off the radar. CIA thought he was dead, and and he's just sort of like, yeah, I'm giving up this life. And but as we go, like little things would would you know spur him into action. I mean, randomly. But think about it. Think about it. See, he has this relationship with the prostitute at the beginning of the film. Well, I'm getting and, there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um. No, I mean, I didn't want to stop you. I'm just saying, I'm I'm, I'm coming to that. Okay. Well, my thought was that he had always intended to help everyday people, however he could. He was just hesitant about actually going after bad guys on his own until he found the right time to do it. And I suspected that that was what Robert was actually going for when he quit the agency. 
I didn't get the impression that he quit the agency because he didn't want to be violent anymore. I got the impression why he quit the agency was because he wanted to do things on his own and he felt more of a calling to help everyday people. Yeah, but I don't think it involved as much uh, violence as he ultimately thought. Like, I thought you think he wanted to help people like he was helping the security guard or the guy who wanted to be the security guard become a security guard. Um, he was he was, you know, he enjoyed helping people in other ways. But then you see these circumstances. Maybe maybe it's made up. Who's when's the last time you ever heard of a Home Depot getting robbed? But, you know, or a Home Mart for that uh, matter. Home Mart, Home Mart, whatever. It's Home Depot. Um, so and, and this guy just comes in and, and of all things, not only is he not satisfied, like even if he had just taken the cash, I don't think. McCall would have gone after him but he took he made the lady take off her ring that her her deceased husband had given her that she wore because he was deceased and he loved her you know she loved him and and that was that was like a, a that was a trigger that, that you know Denzel had to go after him and and you know the kind of the same thing with uh with uh the uh security guys uh uh, 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 Ralphie's mom, where she was, he she was being kind of put in a bad situation by the police, and he goes after them and says, "Hey, you know, you're extorting money from this woman. Knock it off." Um, and 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 ultimately, we we see that um, you know, he does develop this relationship where he goes every day at the same time and reads in this little diner at two a.m. in the morning, and he's reading his book. And at some point during that period of time, the the prostitute girl, you know, will come in and uh, she'll be trying to uh, whatever it is she does decompress and 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 you know try to tell herself she has a better and life eat some than she sugar. does yeah and uh, she'll just eat loads of sugar she was always eating pie and like <laughs> very sugary sweet um you know fixed up coffee drinks like lattes and yet she was thin and attractive whatever uh, uh-huh. anyway <laughs> it's the movies um and anyway so you know and and he he begins talking with her and developing a relationship but then you know, she comes in kind of beat up and, and he follows her and, and finds out that uh, things are not going so well for her and he springs into action. I mean, that's the kind of guy he is. Yeah, he definitely had his Clark Kent persona versus his Jason Bourne persona. Mm-hmm. And it definitely felt at times as though they might have been trying to... I don't know if this was intentional or not. Maybe it's just the influence of action franchises like Die Hard and... Uh, you know, even the Avengers and Captain America. But at times it almost felt as though they were trying to establish a character's origin story so they could press forward with an ongoing franchise. And at the same time, I feel like we don't really need any of that with this movie. Denzel delivered a decent performance. And really what it's about is it is Denzel. Like, you know, you don't need a franchise here. You don't need a sequel here. You will just need another Denzel movie to carry on his legacy. And that's okay. Uh, I was satisfied with what we got from this film. I don't know that they could create another compelling villain for him to handle that would have any sort of uh, connection to everyday people without making it feel contrived. Well, it would start getting like taken where it's like, how many times can, can this guy that's really good come up against people who are really bad? I mean... It gets a little bit like okay, that's that's stretching believability a little bit. So I think you're right. Although I do think they have certainly left themselves room for a franchise here. I think that was in the back of the producer's head. Which, which frankly, they'd be bad producers if it wasn't at least in the back of their head, probably. Um, but but speaking of uh, of of the you know the really bad guys, I mean he 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 thought he was going up against a prostitute ring, right? Where the illegal prostitution and, and slavery, you know, sex slavery, and turns out <laughs> not so much. He he kind of took on the whole Russian mafia. It was kind of a big deal. 
I think that they dealt with that ver- rather delicately. And at the same time, we really didn't, I don't get, I didn't think that we got a realistic picture of just how messy and complicated and difficult that sort of racket would be to track. Um, for the for the sake of the audience for and uh, making a straightforward story, most of it in that kind of uh, shaded business was really simplified. Yeah, it, it was it was uh, more straightforward than Homeward. And I, you know, I was okay for that reason, but at the same time, I I felt like none of these thugs were really convincing. But at the same time, I mean, I don't know any thugs. So what am I saying? Yeah, I don't know any thugs either. I don't know what you're talking about. I did think Teddy was pretty, uh, I don't know if convincing is the right word, but pretty scary. I mean, he worked well as the villain. Although okay. yeah, the, but the see, comparison they tried to make between him and McCall the devil? was kind of weird. What do you Sorry? mean by a comparison? Well, it's like they almost tried to make him like, and I think they even said it in the film, it's like he's the anti-McCall. He's, he's McCall, only evil. Yeah, again, that sounds like something out of a superhero film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't like his character as far as villains are concerned. I, I felt like he was too uh, overly creepy for the sake of being creepy. Yeah. How did you feel about that? I, I thought it worked. Um, I mean, and and you're making Denzel this really you know big unbeatable kind of guy. You got to have a really creepy you know bad bad guy to, uh, that it'll do nearly anything. Where he's you know McCall is is more and this is always the case with good guys, but uh, or it tends to be in any kind of action film. But the good guys are more limited than the bad guys, and the bad guys don't care you know where the bullets spray, and and McCall has to worry about collateral damage where the bad guys don't. And I think that sort of juxtaposition, obviously, it works because we keep going back to it, and it's and it's in when it when that's not there, it usually feels off, right? So I thought it worked well enough. Uh, when, when you make McCall as perfect as he is, you kind of got to have a counter to that. You have to balance the scale. Okay, all right. Well, I mean, I'll I'll let you have it. I I I feel like he was obviously uh, the the villain Teddy. He was definitely getting your. Uh, it, it, <laughs> what am I trying to say? I don't know. What I'm starting to say is that he was definitely attention getting, but he didn't feel real enough. He was way too two dimensional. Like the the guy was truly a psychopath, but he was also like doing it merely because he relished being evil. Mm-hmm. And and perhaps that was what they were going for because they show his tattooed body and it looked like he was going into a séance or something while he took off his shirt. Perhaps they were saying that he was demonically possessed, was and that was the idea behind it. I I got that impression. I and, think that was more cliche, you know. Ooh, but that's the bad a thing. Guy has tattoos. Is, yeah, but he is cliche. Like he he starts leaning back in his chair and his eyeballs roll back into the back of his head. It was just ah, uh, I felt like he was one or two dimensional at best. He was a little two dimensional. I'll give you that. And I think that that kind of leads us into our dislikes. Um, and that is that I feel like this film does suffer in in most aspects from a bit of a two dimensionality. Um, it's a sense that you know a McCall can do no wrong. Uh, he makes no missteps in any of the action sequences and dealing with the bad guys. He never, um, you know, he's he always wants to do the right thing. You know, and he. Um, he can do no wrong, and and there's nowhere for the character to go. So it, it's really more about a revenge thriller kind of a thing than it is about the character development. Um, he, he, I, I like to see characters grow, and that just didn't um, happen. It, it's almost like he's in this film, he's God, and in you know, except that he's not quite all powerful. 
Yeah, we didn't really get to appreciate what was going on in his head because obviously he wants to help the girl and it felt like he had some moral, ethical code of a reason. But at the same time, we're not really allowed to see what that is or what really makes him tick. Like, what is his end game? What is his lifelong goal? Right. If it's just to help people, then why did he become a spy in the first place? And why did he quit being a spy? He doesn't have a life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's just that... um, Boy, you you brought up a thought, and I was going to say it, and it just was on the tip of my tongue, and it's all gone. Well, how do you feel, though, about like the suggestion that he is more... three-dimensional purely based on the fact that he works at home mart and he's trying to help everyday people i mean i got the impression that that's how they were trying to establish showing not telling that the mccall was a well-rounded individual who obviously had a very dark uh, past that would naturally make him kind of closed up but at the same time i just uh, i didn't buy it it was a little bit too much again, like we said would, at the beginning, like a graphic novel. I would call it two and a half D. I wouldn't call it a three D character. He was a little. He wasn't quite two dimensional. Maybe two okay. So half. it's like a graphic novel with three uh, D glasses on. Sure, <laughs> maybe so. Yeah, I mean, and 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 you know about the morality that the character has. I mean, it's like they said he had this this form of morality, but they didn't give us reasons why. They didn't let us explore that character depth at all. Um, and and you know, ultimately, it was just shallow in that way. Um. What drove the character? Like I said, there was no character development. We don't really get what drove him. I mean, we he, he gave us just a glimpse when he talked a little bit to uh, the Chloe Moretz character, uh, what was named Terry, about his wife. Just a little glimpse, and boom, the book was closed, and we never really got back into his character again. Um, and, and, and it so, didn't feel yeah. like it actually propped up his character or the movie. Like, there wasn't a, a very clear-cut connection for the rest of the film. Right, right. And I'm not saying everything has to be obvious. I'm not saying everything has to be related because not everything in real life is related. But then again, this film didn't seem to be like it was trying to relate to true, to real life. Yeah, I mean, and, and speaking of not relating to real life, um, did you find it odd that the cops were just never around? There's gunshots going off I in the did, streets. I did. I did. There's just no cops Thank you for bringing that up. Ever. I forgot to bring that up. But that was something that bugged the heck out of me. And, and and then, you know, they'll, they'll be in these places and he'll be surrounded by guns. And like, you know, I'm thinking of even the first action scene uh, where he he takes out what he thinks is the sex trade ring. And like these dudes are all around him with guns. And we established that the thing took 16 seconds for him to take everybody out. And like hardly a gun went off. Like you'd think as soon as he dispatched one of them that they'd be shooting like crazy at him. And, that was and, another thing about the action in general is how rarely a gun went off and stood the chance of actually causing any of the heroes or, or the uh, the victims, I should say, the bystanders harm, like until the last scene. Then in the last scene, when they did an, a very epic scene, we should mention that, by the way. No, oh, yeah. The, 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 the last, like the showdown fight was inside home mart and the sprinkler system comes on the the lights go off got a little cliche there's machine guns blasting all the shelves to smetherinis explosives in the microwave (laughs) yeah like of course (laughs) the microwave in the break room that like takes out a fifth of the entire home mart i mean of course because everybody puts their gas tanks right beside the microwave and well yeah i mean he did have to go out into the aisle and get a propane you know gas gun thing I I felt like that scene was epic and fulfilling. It, it, like it just as far as like if you wanted to just say, hey, you know, here, show this to your buddies. If you were like, hey, buddies, 
there's this one thing from the film you got to see. It's got to be this last scene. This whole sequence where it's Denzel against all the the Russians. It's awesome. You just watch this. You know that that was actually the 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 biggest highlight for me. But at the same time, it was for its entertainment now value, not because it was something that was especially. Uh, realistic or believable it was merely that it was um it kind of took me back to the the last action sequence in mr and mrs smith when they're inside the 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 mall store kind of like an ikea and all the bad guys are blowing everything to bits i don't remember they have lots and lots of guns and there must have been like uh rounds fired off in, in two minutes i do remember that about that film that 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 film had a lot they were spraying bullets everywhere <laughs> and, and and this film had a similar sort of uh, epic conclusion. Um, yeah. And it, that being said, it wasn't a comedy. So uh, I'm sure this movie will work for a lot of people that Mr. and Mrs. Smith would not. Yeah, I never did like Mr. and Mrs. Smith that much. It may have been a little too much comedy while they're, you know, you know, uh, <laughs> scattering bullets everywhere. The comedy doesn't mix well with the guns for me. Um, yeah, although yeah, I agree it was a, it was an epic, uh, action sequence. I felt like some of it was a little far-fetched, um, you know, involving, uh, Ralphie now that he's a security guard. It just, and he was, he had it together a little too much for a new security guard. <laughs> there was also sort of this attitude of like, yeah, go Ralphie. He was like Hurley from Lost. Like whatever Ralphie <laughs> right. does, keep going, man. You can do it. Oh, Ralphie's not having a good day today. Well, come on, one put more push up, man, and we'll give you a Twinkie to in the reward <laughs> system. There you go, Ralphie. <laughs> there was that kind of feel to the for, to some of his scenes. Oh my, um, yeah, and then the whole. Uh, I got I got news for them. Nail guns don't have the kind of range that they tried to make up in this movie. That where he shot the guy with a nail gun because that's what he had at the. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I've used nail guns. They don't have that kind of range. They're made like you have to push the thing up against the wood and then it nails it in there. But it doesn't shoot across the room. And, Actually, and it doesn't shoot accurately across. Really? The room. Okay. Well, this is interesting, TJ. Thank you for bringing this up. Um, actually. I want to say the truth is somewhere in between the two extremes. What you're saying is true. What they did in the movie is not entirely true. But if you get the right kind of nail gun, it can shoot that far. But not the accurately. Yeah, actually, you can. You can. You can. No, no, no. You can. I've done oh. it. I used to do this with the guys. I worked on a construction team, and we had like we had like twenty different nail guns to choose from, and we would shoot them in this great big open warehouse space just for kicks to see what we could do with them. Um, but the problem with nail guns is that they are not. They have like a safety built onto the tip of them, exactly, so yes. that most all of them will not shoot unless unless the safety has been broken. I'm pretty sure it's regulation. Like you can't. Yeah, yeah. You can't shoot a nail gun unless it's against a piece of wood yeah and so the chance you, you got a point that you know chances are you open up the nail gun out of, out of the box and try to use it for the first time it may or may not be very accurate and the other thing is is that the safety is most definitely on and we didn't see mccall break the safety before he used it to shoot the bad guy but then again this was like the last um what is it called uh suspension of this of disbelief yeah, before the end of the movie don't so don't confuse denzel with the facts he, he does not <sighs> accept your facts <laughs> okay I, I can't say anything to that my, my my last disappointment with the film is we're expected to believe after that scene that he continues to climb up the ladder of the mafia a that he does so without you know 
eventually running. I mean, as good as he is, eventually you're going to be overpowered. But he climbs all the way up the ladder of the mafia. And then they have the gall to make us to tell us that he did all that. He got where he needed to go. He took everybody out. He needed to. He got to the big boss and that big boss didn't, you know, quadruple security around him. I, I just I don't buy it. Yeah, I had the same problem. Like he didn't see—he seemed to be full of himself and arrogant all along. In that last scene, the only scene we get to see that top mob boss, like as though he had not nothing to worry about in the world. Even though Denzel was presumably picking off his entire army one rank at a time. Yes. Yeah, I, I thought that was. Um, uh, like really, but again, it was at the very end of the film, and it's like by that point the popcorn is stale, and you're ready to go home because it's a Denzel movie. It's going to take a long time to watch, and you're watching the ten o'clock showing, so you're ready to get out of the theater. I, I would have been ha- just as well, just as happy for them to end it basically to to cut that entire sequence uh, of I don't know what is it eight minutes where uh, five minutes, eight minutes, whatever, where it's showing that he basically picked everybody off and got up to the, the head honcho and killed him, and just cut straight to the scene with him and Chloe Moretz saying, "Yeah, you know, I." You know, where he, Chloe has no idea what was her name, Terry, has no idea how it is that she, you know, got off the hook, but she's off the hook and she's free to go live her life. I mean, he's basically purged every, you know, the, the Russian mafia out of, of uh, Boston, so we're good to go, right? I would have been totally happy with that. And that kind of bleeds into my very last complaint, which is at 131 minutes, this film feels about 20 minutes too long. I, I would have been just happy for them to cut 20 minutes from the film. I, I agree, but I also felt like this film didn't have much on its uh on its skeleton as a whole it was a very bare bones film to begin with yeah. all we had was mostly um action heavy plot let's show a few montages of mccall working in home mart to show time progressing and time passing and then uh there was just a few moments of brief dialogue so it was just it was the very minimum amount of story you needed to actually fill up this time length in the first place. So what I'm trying to say is that I was impressed by how well paced the film was Mm -hmm. because at times it was okay with being action driven and being a really high octane fast pace. And then at other times, very slow and methodical. Well, the well, let's first just action, watch this unfold and build up your anticipation. Yeah, I mean, the first action sequence was like 30 minutes in or something, right? Yeah, it was. And by then, you're, you were really itching for it. Yeah, I suppose. I, I like films that have slow burn, and that, that didn't bother me. I just felt like ultimately it got a little draggy and that they could have cut, okay, let's be, maybe only 10 minutes, but they could have cut a little out of it and it would have had a little bit better pacing. I think that is a plague on most films uh, these days that if, if, if they're not, you know, even if they are action heavy films, they're over heavy on action. But if they're not, they just tend to be a little, like, like, come on, stop making your films too long. Just stop it. Just know when to cut it off. I don't know. And I, you know, I suppose uh, certainly as a former filmmaker, I, I know the thing of getting too close to your film and like you, you, you grow attached to every part of it and you're like, but, but this, this belongs here and I painstakingly put it here. I, I get that, but you know, it's time to let something go. It was just a little too long. That's all. Okay. I, fair enough. I completely agree with every, everything you say. And I, I can't remember Always. this you're, movie you're, at all. You're my yes, ma'am. Yeah, this week I am because I can't remember this movie at all. I'm already, <laughs> already forgetting about it. Okay. It's like, what, what did I see that? It was like two years ago. Oh, no, it only came out two weeks ago. Never mind. 
Well, so speaking of that, it sounds like you found it forgettable. Why don't you share your star rating with us? <sighs> yes, I I enjoy Denzel Washington because I think he is a um, very um, attractive action hero, and I think that he would be great in more films. I wish his films had a little bit better material. So all things considered, I'm giving this two and a half stars because while I was watching it, I was glad that I had taken the time to, to see it, but it was, uh, frankly, it wasn't as rewarding as even the original Taken. And that's mm. too bad because I, I, I know Taken gets a lot of criticism for being uh, pandering to the audience's, you know, end goals of, you know, action films, but... I, yes, this one was not pandering to our end goals, but it was at the same time just it lacked enough nuance to really earn more star cred. Yeah, I, I don't know. I would put it on the same level as the original Taken, really. Um, I don't know that I've ever given that film a rating. I can't remember that I have, but I would give this film three and a half out of five stars. It was a perfectly acceptable film. I was glad that I watched it, and uh, it, to some extent, I would certainly recommend it. Uh, probably, you know, if you're leaning a little towards, eh, I don't know, maybe wait till it comes out of home video, but I think, I think people should watch it. I mean, I feel like it was a good film. Uh, it sounds like you're not quite there. No, and I never will be, but I mean, it's okay, TJ. It's okay. Yeah. You can, I suppose. You, you can give it three and a half. Well, I will. That's good. I'll hold it I'll, against you some other day. I'm, I'm glad that you have, uh, given me the liberty and allowed me to, uh, to give it that star rating. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you have let me do that. Hmm. Um, so should we now then do we, well, do we have any final thoughts? Do we want to say anything last? Uh, I don't think you need to watch this movie in theaters. What do you think? Mm, maybe, I would maybe like not. To, I would like, like to, if you're, if you're a Denzel Washington fan, yeah. I say go, go see it. it and that would bit, be the only reason I'd watch it again is if I was going to catch it with some friends that are real Denzel Washington fans. Yeah. It's a bit bloody and violent. There were certainly times when I cringed and I had to kind of look away or look through the uh, proverbially look through the you know the slits of my fingers or whatever but it, you know it, the fundamentally i think the story is sound um and it, it certainly resonated on an emotional level many times um and it was a satisfying end of justice that was meted out um and that's sometimes just what the audience wants is is kind of that justice meted out um we we often can't get the justice we want in the real world and so we like to see that in our stories and i think this this movie delivers on that on that premise wouldn't you say Oh, yeah. At the end of the day, I think that that's what a lot of the target audience wanted to get out of it most. Yeah. So if you're over 18 and you have the stomach for a heavily R-rated film, not just a little bit R-rated, a heavily R-rated film uh, in in Violence and Blood, then, uh, yeah, I think I can recommend this film for you. Well, okay, cool. That's that. Yes. We should talk about our second movie, which we're reviewing today, which is The Judge. You're standing in one of the last great cathedrals in this country, built on the premise that you and you alone are responsible for the consequences of your actions. You have anything else to say for yourself? Yeah. Yeah, it's not an affirmation. Yeah. It's not an affirmation a man uses in court. Henry? Judge? At the wake, he shakes my hand while he's hugging everyone else. I have memories of us. You, me, then I don't. How come? You're just a boy from Indiana who's going to do whatever he has to do to pretend that's not true. We built these walls of stone. Stop staring. I know I look good. 
Forensics found traces of blood on your dad's car. It matches the victim. We spin these tales. A man who killed somebody on your watch. A man you released. You don't remember hitting him. We need to establish a firm defense. Are you asking if you can represent me? You can afford me. The truth can be exposed. There's a strength in letting go. Dad cannot go to prison. You cannot lose this case. The judge opened on October the 10th of 2014, just uh, 11 days ago, Mm. Uh, 12 by the time you're listening to this. If you're listening to it the day after this episode is released, it had a budget of $50 million. Opening weekend, weekend, what am I saying? Uh, It brought in $13.1 million. Uh, The worldwide gross now is $36.2 million, which is very disappointing to me. Uh, and the critics are disappointing me as well. The critic consensus at Rotten Tomatoes is that solidly cast and beautifully filmed, but thoroughly cliched, the judge seems destined to preside, preside over a large jurisdiction of the basic cable afternoon viewing circuit. The director was David Dopkin, the writers Nick Shank and Bill DeBuque. Uh, I have, it's, I'm, I'm murdering that name, but, uh, the stars, of course, Robert Downey Jr. plays Hank Palmer. He is best known as Iron Man and secondarily Sherlock Holmes, although arguably his Sherlock Holmes franchise might be just as good or better than Iron Man. Um, Robert I Duvall. Disagree. Okay. Robert Duvall is also in this film as Judge Palmer. He was uh, recently in Jack Reacher, uh, but he's also kind of known for The Godfather. He was in a movie called The Apostle. And then he kind of got his start, Joe. I didn't realize this. I didn't know that Boo Radley was played by um, uh, Robert Duvall in To Kill a Mockingbird, um, which is pretty interesting. Uh, so that's kind of, and in fact, in, in researching this, that's kind of where he got his start. I mean, he played in a few things before To Kill a Mockingbird, but that's kind of what put him on the map. Um, wow yeah and I, I you know obviously i don't like to kill a mockingbird the film as much as the book uh the book is wonderful and you should read it um but but the film is fine um i don't know if you've had a chance to see that or not to kill a mockingbird yeah yeah I, i've seen it but it's been a long time Wh- you, who is bill radley boo radley boo uh, well, he actually only appears in the end of the film, as he only uh, appears in the end of the book, really, for that matter. Um, he is the object of much curiosity from uh, Scout and uh, her brother, uh, Jeremy. Um, they are basically the neighbors, uh, and they're very eccentric, especially Boo is very eccentric. Uh, um, eccentric. And um, the no, nobody much cares for the Radleys, um, but ultimately he ends up uh, saving uh, uh, Jeremy's life. And Scout was kind of witness to that. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, Sorry, I got distracted with Gregory Peck there for a second. I can never stop <laughs> paying attention to Gregory Peck and anything I find him in. Okay, whatever you say. So those, obviously, Robert Downey Jr. and Robert Duvall are the headline stars here. Uh, Vera Farmiga, if I'm, if I'm saying that right, played Samantha Powell. Billy Bob Thornton played Dwight Dickham. He was in The Astronaut Farmer. He was also in Armageddon and also in The Apostle with Robert Duvall, interestingly enough. Um... Vincent D'Onofrio played Glenn Palmer, which is Hank's brother, Robert Downey Jr.'s brother. I only know him as Edgar in Men in Black. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> you totally see the resemblance, of course, right? The, he and Robert look like you know, blood brothers for sure. <laughs> Jeremy Strong played Dale Palmer, the weird and eccentric um, uh, younger brother to Robert Downey Jr. and Vincent D'Onofrio. Uh, 
Onofrio. Yeah, frankly, everybody in this family in this movie looked adopted. <laughs> if you say so. Um, Dax Shepard played C.P. Kennedy. Leighton Meester played Carla Powell. And Emma Tremblay played uh, the daughter. The cute is a button little daughter of Robert Downey Jr., um, Lauren Palmer. She was in The Giver and in Elysium. And the composer was Thomas Newman. Where do I know that name from, Joe? Finding Nemo. And is, other Pixar films. Yes, yes. I was thinking it sounded like a, somehow it was attached to Pixar. And this, again, this is where I miss Chad. Um, let's see. Film it was excellent. Career. It sounded like something Thomas Newman would make. It was his same instruments. He goes back to every time. I was very comfortable with his his uh, sort of ethereal quality. And um, it, it feels like it, it's soulful. It's so, more... It's it's not just orchestral or, you know, for orchestral sake. It's... Uh, it's actually hard to distinguish exactly what instruments you're getting from his composition, but it's good. So it only it looks like he only scored two um, uh, Pixar films, Finding Nemo and Wall-E. Um, but he has scored some other films, uh, such as Cinderella Man, Jarhead, um, Towelhead. Uh, you know, uh, let's see. Skyfall, apparently. Yes, Skyfall. Um, saving Mr. Banks. He did save Mr. Banks. Um, so yeah, I mean, and he's going to be scoring Finding Dory, apparently. Obviously, they're bringing him back for that. Um, I thought the score was a little tad generic. It, it served its purpose, but again, like, like the previous film, it's not music I would come back to. It, no, nothing about no, it stood it, out. It was comfortable for this film. It, it was, uh, let's just say it had all the air marks of Thomas Newman that we know and love, but it didn't really bring new anything new to the yeah, table. Yeah, it didn't have any personality. Uh, you know, I felt like the personality of this film came from other elements. It, it didn't lend to the personality. It, you know, it didn't mm-hmm. have anything that stood out, which was unfortunate. Sure. Because other than that, this is a great film. Yeah. Um, okay. So, Joe, I'm Ready sorry. I don't have line? I don't have more of a storyline than this. I was in. A yeah, I was just checking this out online. The studio has a really short uh, storyline, and re- there's nothing better on Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb. But then again, the storyline on Wikipedia is 142 minutes long, so we're not going to read that. <laughs> That's basically the film. Yeah. So, well, we'll just go back to what we have here. Big city lawyer Hank Palmer returns to his childhood home, where his father, the town's judge, is suspected of murder hank sets out to discover the truth and along the way reconnects with his estranged family and friends i felt like uh as far as encapsulating the story this is robbie downer jr's face uh using every kind of expression in uh you could think of in in small town america so that he would look uh, folksy and charming and then you know robert duvall is his dad that's uh that's kudos to his career as well and there's like a small element to this film that feels like it was taken from Sweet Home Alabama in that it's uh, yeah, the little, city girl coming back to her folksy town. Only city boy. Yeah. And uh, I can it, see that a little, although I, I, you know, Sweet Home Alabama is a far different film, but I can see it a little. I can see a resemblance. Then there was also this um, quality to it that is brought by anything with Billy Bob Thornton in it. Mm. But what's funny about that, to me, was that even though Billy Bob plays a very significant role as an antagonist, he his character is severely downplayed throughout the entire film. Very two-dimensional. Very underdeveloped. I wanted, uh, in, in much as I kind of scoff at, at Billy Bob Thornton... Um, I wanted more of his character. I felt like, crazily enough, I, I went into this film thinking I wouldn't like that character because of Billy Bob Thornton. And what I found was I didn't like him because he was poorly scripted. 
Yeah. But we're getting, it, into, we're getting into dislikes. We need to come back right, to that. Right. Um, so, so really the gist of it, people, was that this was a, a, the meat and potatoes and the dessert hot apple pie was all centered around Robert Downey Jr.'s character's family. And that consisted of three older brothers, uh, one of them a city-slicking you know, lawyer, one of them a, uh, what, what would you say, just a uh, baseball uh, star washout. player he, washout. He, he was injured, and he, you know, that was what he was going to do with his life, and he got injured. Yeah. His arm was injured, and he couldn't do it. And then so the uh, somewhat, and then there was the third wheel, the slightly <laughs> mentally handicapped brother, and then there was the old man Robert Downey Jr. Or sorry, <laughs> Robert Duvall, and uh, he aced this role. Like oh, this yes. was actually one of my favorite performances I've seen of Duvall. He just, he nailed this so well. I mean, and, and it's he, difficult too because there's a lot yeah. of nuance to playing a you know what do they call it scotchy old man? Yes, just he, a difficult sort to, of person to deal with. He has to elicit in the audience both kind of an empathy for what he's feeling as this old man going through his old age and losing his wife, and at the same time he has to foster the dislike that that Robert Downey Jr.'s character Hank feels for his father. He has to foster both of those emotions in us. And he succeeded on a grand scale. It was incredible. This is this is a master at work here. But it really wasn't so much that he, we fell in love with his character because all the while no. I was really aware of his character flaws, but at the same time, I appreciated that he was one of the more human and realistic, down-to-earth uh, modern Americans that I could come across. Like he was a very believable old judge and old father and uh, the kind of guy who doesn't do everything very well, but you still sympathize for him and hope that it turns out for the better. Yeah, absolutely. You, you wanted, you wanted things to work out for him, even though, and, and here's, I'm going to reveal something about this film, Joe. Um, Ooh, this, spoiler alert. No, happy it's not, as, it's not really a spoiler alert. You should know better going into this film. And I feel like this film has been reviewed as if it were a murder mystery and it's not received good reviews. And it's people, it is not a murder mystery. This is a family story. This is, this is about the reuniting of son and father. And and it is about the relationship breakdown that can happen there. This has nothing to do with a murder mystery. It's frankly obvious exactly <laughs> no, TJ, what, what happened. What you don't understand is that this is just a horrible execution on a thriller. I mean, it was supposed to be the next Shining, and it's nothing like that at all. So just the critics are absolutely right. Joe, get out. Leave. Pack your bags. Get out. <laughs> All right, I'm going to burn this your microphone. <laughs> you, but don't you get that sense that people? Oh are yeah, absolutely. This was this was like- first and foremost a drama that sometimes had courtroom drama elements, but really it was not a courtroom drama. And there's just aren't there aren't that many uh, folksy dramas that we have anymore. And of course, the critics don't like that kind of story because no. they don't like that part of America. And even the film at times did plenty to mock this old town feel and charm. And while at the same time, it played it up for its better characteristics. Like, you actually, know, obviously you were supposed to like these people when it was all said and done. Yes, but I actually liked the way that was played up because, look, I've come from small, I've been, I've lived in small towns. Um, I kind of come from a small town. Uh, we kind of, well, I don't know. It's, it's weird. I, we kind of moved to a small town when I was 14, so I still think of myself as from there. But anyway, um, 
you know, and, and, and yet, you know, there's some eccentricities. I've been having really a lot of trouble with that word tonight. I don't know why. Um, eccentricities. <laughs> yeah, <out>. you are. <laughs> it sounds like eccentricities. Yes, whatever. You know what I'm trying to say. So, so yeah, the, the, the small towns have that thing. And then, they, you know, at the same time, they do have a charm. There's something charming about the small town. And and I felt like this film nailed it. Like it's it's silly and it's crazy and it's charming, um, and and it's it's clickish. Um, it, it really worked. Um, and and that I I felt like this film hit that that note, played that note just right. It didn't glorify it, but it didn't make it seem like it was this terrible little podunk town that nobody would ever want to be in. What I really enjoyed about the film. Uh, first and foremost, was the human relationships for father and son, brother to brother, and father to daughter, and uh, you know, spouse to spouse. They had a lot of those family dynamics for the character that Robert Downey was. Um, what was his character's name again? Yeah, Hank Palmer. So all the Palmers have these intertwining, uh, very human family relationships. And oh, you yes. see all these different family dynamics where the judge would be one way with the child, but he would be another way with his own uh, first, you know, or second born son, you know, and then he, he was a very different sort of person in the courtroom. Uh, but then I, it was, it was very human in that way. Like you didn't, uh, some of their, their conversations, their arguments, their disagreements have, um, a confused feel to them. And it brings to mind what Brad Bird said once about this argument in the kitchen for Mr. and Mrs. Incredible when he was directing Pixar's film. Mm-hmm. How Mr. and Mrs. Incredible, uh, who are uh, Park, uh, you know. Park. Yeah, uh, Bob Parr. Yeah, thank you, and his wife. When they were arguing in the kitchen, and uh, it's over silly things, but also very important things at the same time, it gets escalated really fast, and none of it really matters to, you know, uh, as a, a cohesive thought. And there is a quality about human arguments that go like that. And it makes them a little bit more believable because we all know from experience that's what arguments are. Always, and they're always stupid. There were yeah, arguments in uh, families yeah. are always stupid, right? And there were a lot of stupid arguments in this movie, and it was actually refreshing to see how well they pulled off the tension, the friction between all of those human relationships. Well, you know, Robert Downey Jr. really played up this uh, leftover, uh, if you will, some of it was leftover teenage angst against his father that he'd never let him go of. And you can totally see that. I don't I don't have a lot of it, but occasionally I'll catch myself going, I'm not going to do X with my children. I'm like, whoa, back up. Wait a minute. That, did, that, <laughs> that never hurt you, TJ. That was really good for you. And I've just got to let go of that, that kind of teenage angst thing. I, I can't name a specific instance, but you know what I'm talking about it's sure. like you know and, but, but and it's it, but it's obviously as, enhanced and exaggerated for the sake of the film but little. it's there and, so, and, I mean, and it feels you, true to life anyway i'm sure you know people i know people who do feel that way that robert downey jr's character hank felt about judge palmer is the way these real people in the real world feel about their dad it happens it was a in that way it was a very realistic drama i know people right now who hate their dad in exactly the way that hank hated judge palmer yeah, me too. And I mean, and other elements about his character were very consistent with people I actually know, and it brought to my mind that there is someone I have in my life that is actually a lot like this character, minus the the jerky qualities. Right. Um, and <laughs> so when I was watching Downey's performance, I was like, man, I keep on seeing this other guy's face. Ah, oh, this is so weird. It's just like this other guy I know. But then, um, 
and, and for those reasons, it was like, wow, I'm, I'm really impressed by the quality of the, just this character combination to Robert Downey Jr. For what it is worth watching this movie, it was worth it just to see a, a rather credible performance uh, of a, a confused, uh, yet successful, yet disappointing modern American. And uh, it was, I thought, achieved with our protagonist. Yeah, I mean, I thought they set the stage really well, actually, where at the very beginning of the film, he's this hotshot lawyer. He's in court. He tells this guy in the bathroom exactly how good his life is and how, because the guy's like, how do you even sleep at night? How can you live with yourself? It's like, well, I don't know. My life's pretty good. I got this guy. I got a really hot wife and blah, blah, blah. But then we find out, no, he doesn't have it all together. His wife's and he are getting a it's divorce. It's all a show. Yeah. It's, it's all, of course, it's all it has to be. For, he's a lawyer. It has to be a show. Right. Um, I, I think ultimately, um, Sons are always a disappointment to their fathers. Um, I don't know about that. <laughs> hear me out. It's, it's human nature. Every, every one of us men, think about the plans and the uh-huh. goals and the aspirations that you have for Jude, even now, right? And, the, and, the, and I feel the same way about my sons, Alan and Titus. I know I already have kind of a sense of, oh, their life is going to be like this, and I'm going to do that. And we have to learn to let go of that. Because that's this is the nature of the human condition. Like we have these hopes and dreams and aspirations for our sons, and as they grow older, they want to make something different of their lives than what we think exactly that we want for them. We have their future and a vision mapped out for them, and that's not what they want. And huh. some fathers, like Robert Duvall's character, Judge Palmer, he has much, much more of an you know he's much more disappointed by his son. He, his son was a, a you know he was in juvenile det- detention and and he um he he disappointed him in many ways and then he never came back home when he got his life straightened out when he became a hotshot lawyer and he was such a disappointment to his father. And this is certainly a, a much bigger issue than most of us have, where our disappointments are minor and we get over it and the relationship continues. This though resonates, I think. Sure, I, I didn't see the exact same message uh, transcending the film, but it, there's definitely room for it. What I noticed especially was how the father just had a clear-cut, old-town American uh, ethic, and he expected his sons to perform well based on traditions. And uh, just like for the name of the family, the betterment of the name of the family, and it was hard enough on the old man that uh, the second-born son, when he was 17 gets into a car accident that, you know, severely injures his older brother who right. was destined for baseball, you know, success and, you know, notoriety. And so the, you know, his older brother, you, he just can't make it. And so he has a dead end job in the old, you know, folksy town. And that really hurt the old judge and obviously estranged the, the second born son and his father. And then on to boot, you know, the third born son is somewhat, you know, mentally handicapped. And that obviously, you know, just creates an ongoing tension for the entire family because notice that they all basically give him a full measure of forgiveness for anything that Dale does, you know, the one that is a little bit slow, but they, they're not anywhere near that patient with each other. Right. And that's really just a reflection of not hypocrisy, but like their inconsistency mm-hmm. that they love Dale. And because he is slow, they will give him all forgiveness. But because these other people didn't live, live up to their, uh, the family's hopes and dreams purely based on accidents that have happened, they, they're going to be hard on each other and they're not willing to forgive. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's good. 
I, I, you know, of course, we're really just talking about this one family in isolation because while there is a courtroom drama that's unfolding through the entire film and uh, a, a couple of glimpses of others and discussions about others throughout the film, for the most part, this was a family drama story. Absolutely. And th- there were also, you know, estranged spouses and uh, girlfriends and the question of, did you father this other kid in town that you, you never met before and things right, like right, that. Right, right. And those definitely gave it more um, flavor. Dis- d- flavor. Yeah, thank you, sir. But I, I felt like f- as a collective cohesive whole, w- this film was was r- rather decent. I didn't enjoy it. I don't think as much as the average uh, member of the, uh, the audience that's going to see this film. I love it. But I it. certainly enjoyed this film more than what the critics are giving it. This This film is the reason why I go to see films like this. I mean, this is the type of human drama that I love in a film. Um, And where it really got real for me, that that drama, and this plays into where you were talking about, well, it's not really a courtroom drama, but it does tie into what's going on in the courtroom because the, the mistake that Judge Palmer made 20 years ago in being lenient on a young man who got out of jail after 30 days because his sentence from the judge was lenient and then killed his girlfriend. Like, the judge considers that the biggest mistake of his career, and he saw parallels between his youngest son, who was going down this road of juvenile detention, and um, and this, this, this guy who murdered his girlfriend, and suddenly he feels the need to correct it, and he doesn't know how. He only knows that what he did in being lenient as a judge with this man didn't work, and he must do something else. And that resonates, like, because... All of us were were stumbling through life. Those of us who are parents, trying to figure out how best to raise our children, and he he chose the wrong path for the right reasons, right? He, he, you know, and his son turned out okay, although he hated him in life. He turned out okay. He was a successful lawyer, and yet, yeah, pretty much in spite of what his father, in spite did. of what that's his father what did, more often than not, and you see that happening also in the other relationship between uh, uh what's his name. Palmer, yeah, uh, the main guy, Hank, and his daughter, his young daughter, how, you know, she is a pretty decent little girl in spite of how she's been raised up. Yeah, and in spite of the fact that she could see exactly what was going on with her mother and father and daddy, when when are you guys getting the divorce? Which stage are we in? Well, there's this stage and there's this stage, and I know because my, my uh, friend went through this, and I just didn't think it would happen to me. Oh, it was so heartbreaking. There were several moments in this film, yeah, show that were so yeah. heartbreaking. Uh, I, I, I don't mind telling you that I, I had the sniffles a couple of times in this mm. film. So it was, it was a fantastic drama. Well, I was definitely aware of the women around me in the audience that were sniffling. So. <laughs> I'm sure you were. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I did have, um, just a little bit of issues with this film. I suspect you had maybe more than me. Mm. Okay. Shoot. Well, um, I, I I did allude to this earlier. In fact, I pretty much said it, but I'll say it again anyway since we're officially in the dislike section segment of this film. And that is that Mr. Astronaut Farmer uh, was actually – Billy Bob Thornton was actually much better as an actor in this film than I expected. Uh, and I know that uh, Fizz right now is laughing at me. Uh, that's fine. Fizz, hi. Um, but um, – the script was sadly lacking in the department of his role. I, I felt like I, I, we needed to know more about why he was doing what he was doing. And we got a, oh, just a little bit of dimensionality at the very end when we see his signature on the paper for compassionate release. And, and uh, you know, because, oh, that's one thing we've forgotten to mention is Robert Duvall's character, Judge Palmer, has stage four cancer. 
while all this is going on and he's trying to hide it from everybody. It eventually comes out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, spoiler alert. Cancer. Um, and, and so the, you know, he's, he's signed, uh, uh, Dickinson has, uh, Dickum, sorry, Dwight Dickum has signed for a compassionate release. And, and so we got just a little bit of two dimensionality or three dimensionality there. Other than that, it was very two D's like, I'm going to bring this arrogant, you know, man who has his ideals down. And that was pretty much it. And we didn't figure out why, uh, we didn't really know a lot. I mean, it just felt a little, a little loose, you know? Yeah, if we were watching the 1950s version with Jimmy Stewart and somebody else as the antagonist, then he would that character would have definitely been much more brash and in your face, and he would have had a lot more dialogue, and he would have gotten more out of that character performance. Yeah, we really only had one confrontation, and it was really just between Billy Bob Thornton uh, and Robert Downey Jr. in that office where he said, I'm going to take you down. You know? and, well, and for reasons like that scene, I can see, yes, there were some moments that were cliche dialogue, cliche character uh, pit against uh, the other character. But for so what? It wasn't hampered by the cliches. No, no, this not at was all. comfortably executed with a lot of refinement and polish, and it felt true to life. And a lot of times when f- filmmakers criticize cliche, what they're really criticizing is when uh, art mimics life. Yes, <laughs> That's yes. a, a big problem here because we don't need something to be seedy and bizarre and uh, peculiar and then watch it and say, whoa, that's just like this experience I had in college. Well, you know, they, I, I don't need that. What I need is more film that, uh, you know, edifies and entertains at the same time and works us out of real world pl- problems. Where that can often happen is with a drama. And sadly, we have too few dramas now. So this was a really refreshing film for that reason. Absolutely. I, I, I completely agree. And and I don't get people talking about how um, cliche it is. I didn't even feel like it ended the way I expected it to. It it it, it did not go where I expected it to go. Um, I did not expect, spoiler alert, I did not expect Robert Duvall to go to jail. I just didn't expect it to happen. And it Whoa. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, I already but said at he the same time, for- by halfway through the film, I was thinking to myself, how on earth are they going to sell this well, if he yeah. doesn't go to jail? It because became, clearly It became very is- apparent that he did commit the crime. Yeah. And that was one of those mixed emotions moments. Yeah, where he shouldn't think, have done it, but really you understood can- why. Can someone this closely related to the protagonist be responsible for something that bad? And the answer is yes. And that's well, actually, again, true <laughs> to real life. I don't know if I'd call it that bad. You understood why he did it. I would say it was wrong and he shouldn't have done it. Uh, but you understood why. Because um, the guy was a, a, a jerk. <laughs> he, was a, he, was not, he was worse than a jerk. He was uh, a murderer. Right. But you can never take the law into your own hands. No, that's correct. I, I agree. I agree. So, but that's why it was so bad. It's like he basically committed, you know quote justice but at the same time if you're breaking the law to this degree by no means is this justice <laughs> so it was murder yeah no i, I completely agree but but i the, the, i'm just saying i i feel like this film had enough surprises and it sure it had some cliche i mean all films do to an extent but it was fine uh, like i really enjoyed it um i do want to get to just a couple other complaints um because that's technically the part of the review that we're in um, I felt like there was a little bit of muddiness regarding the circumstances around our main character, uh, Robert Downey Jr., and his relationships. Like, uh, in the beginning of the film, um, you know, Hank Palmer tells – we've already talked about this. He tells the opposing lawyer he has a great uh, life and, a, and what a great wife he has. We see he's getting a divorce. 
but then you know so now now we're supposed to feel sorry for him right we're supposed to feel sorry for hank that that this is happening and we found out that it was because his wife was cheating on him that the divorce is happening uh she was she was uh, sleeping with another guy and so they're getting a divorce but then he's over schmoozing it up with some teen you know teen oh, right thing. it doesn't look like this is his first no you know, no no. Fling, it's not his first so. rodeo <laughs> and uh it just it made it made things a little bit muddy. I know it's real life and everything, but I felt like with everything else going on, it just made things a little bit muddy. Um, we see him we see him basically cheating on her. I mean, and and we can see that he's done it before. So, in in a sense, not really who can blame her because you can always blame somebody for cheating. But at the same time, it's like, well, they're kind of doing it to each other. Um, it was just a little. I wanted more clarity in, in who I was rooting for and what I was rooting for. That's it, it, all. I, I suppose that's a common refrain with me, but there it is. I, I, I understand where you're coming from. I, I and I think that that's definitely a, a perplexing problem for this sort of film that it makes it difficult to root for any particular character. We we would like to think that there is someone that we can support because this guy seems to have his act together. Right. But this film really doesn't have that going for it. Nope. What we do is we have sympathy, not because we admire uh, Hank Palmer, but we do have sympathy for him because he his story and how it's presented, it's it lends itself to generating hope for him. Like, we, we can't help but hope for the best and that he will get over his problems and move on and stop, you know, dipping his toes into all kinds of immaturity. You know, he he's really hurting himself when he's having these flings with other girls yes. as often as he does. And how yes. he does them, it's, they're not going to be fulfilling. They're basically junk food. Right. So why can't he get his act together and appreciate a real woman like his mom was? Or at least as it's suggested his mom was. You know, th- th- there's films like these that often present the, the ideal protagonist as being... Uh, not a part of the movie like you know his dead mother like she she's already gone so she can be idealized everybody can uh, talk about how wonderful she was and every time you show her she's you know she she seems to be the ideal virtuous woman you know the kind of person you wish this movie was actually about mm-hmm. <laughs> so that you could root for her because you admire her but yeah there's this, there aren't going to be that many people you you can genuinely admire but you can certainly relate to because you know how faulty you are and you just wish that a movie that can entertain you this much would help you vicariously relate to a better guy and make you feel better about yourself. Yes, you've put all the words in my mouth that I wanted to say. <laughs> but for like, getting back to the dislikes, um, and I, uh, that's definitely one that's in a gray area for me, I have to give you. Um, an- another one of the dislikes for me was just how much of this film was not said. Going back into the issue with his marital status, uh, Hank Palmer has a botched-up relationship with his wife, and the movie wasn't really about that relationship, but it was uh, indicated that his marriage was a mess because he was a mess of a person, and that went all the way back to his relationship with his father. Had that been okay, then he could have been a better man. But Hank could not be a better man until he had resolved his relationship with his father. And what was amazing was the lengths to which he went he went to make his life better and and resolve issues with his father. Um, I felt like two two things were going on here. One, uh, there was so much that was happening that we just assume throughout the film. We assume somewhere before the end of the film that he has been divorced. We also assume that his job has dematerialized 
in the big city. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are things like this that are happening that are not happening in the movie. And I was like, mm, there was a whole extra, you know, movies worth of material here, but this movie was already too long. So obviously it got next. Um, so it focused I, on the most important things throughout the film and I throughout the story. I wouldn't call the movie too long. I'd call it just right. But anyway, really? Okay. Um, the other thing that kind of bugged me was, Uh, I, 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 sorry, going back to something you said much earlier when we just brought up the film, you seem to like the cinematography in this film. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Loved it. Okay. But why, what was it about the cinematography that you liked? I don't know if I can put my finger on it right now. It was because just very beautifully I, well filmed. What I noticed was that it was very consistent all throughout. There was a very particular lighting style that was consistent, and it was a little bit bluish and a little bit gray. Uh, whites were blown out, and blacks were definitely inky black. There was an inky blackness to shadows. I'm going to guess you saw it on a bad projection because it did not look that way at all to me. But no, I, I this was in my best theater in town. Something uh, was wrong. I'm telling you, I did not see that. It, I'm not saying it was ugly. What I'm saying is that it was highly stylized. It was. There was there was certainly a um, a crushed black thing going on. That and I like I, I tend to like more crushed blacks than not. Although it can get too much. I did not notice any blowing out of the whites. There was nothing nothing like that going on. There was a couple of moments when there was like um, not lens flares, but like lights in your eyes while it would pan through the courtroom, and there would just be bright white light coming in, in through the, the 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 windows. And I noticed that in most most indoor scenes, none of the lights were turned on. All the light was coming from outside the windows. And for what it was worth, the cinematography was okay. It was there. But I was bugged by how often there were close-up shots, and I felt like it was uncomfortably so a few times when it was just making the film uh, representation weaker because it was overly used. And besides that, I mean, this is nitpicky. You know, it really is. Um, but going back to the lighting, I was not crazy about the lighting. You and I are just not going to get along. <laughs> Seriously, I'll, I'll throw away this mic tonight. <laughs> but yeah, uh, what am what am I trying to say? It's hard to put my finger on why this movie was good, but not as great as it might have been. Uh, it's worth seeing, definitely, if you dig Robert Downey Jr., and if you want to see one of Robert Duvall's better films. And if you don't dig Robert Downey Jr. and you don't want to see Robert Duvall's uh, better films, go see it anyway because it's that good. <laughs> well, I don't know if I would go there. Like, okay, here was another one of my dislikes. In general, the women characters, the females, they, they all were supposed to be important, but it didn't seem like any of them were um, given real respect. So most of them were there pretty much is just like uh, playthings or as devices of some other kind for Hank Palmer to be, they were distractions away from all the, the problems he had to sort out with his brothers and his father. Yeah. And I didn't like to the level that they downplayed the women as just being completely secondary in life as, you know, your retreat is to turn to the girls, you know, and that's that's really the only reason that they're around but I, is I, you I, enjoy each other for their sexuality and because they're charming and they make you laugh. But I felt that, that like that was more of a reflection of the bad character traits of Hank Palmer than anything else. I felt that that was also the way that the film itself portrayed them. I didn't think it was totally just Hank's 
perspective. I also felt like when the film ended, it ended on that note for all of his relationships with women. Mm. I don't agree with that. Um, so you felt like there was a redeeming quality when it came to like his relationships with his old girlfriend or the future of his, of his daughter? A, a little, a little, I, I wouldn't say a, a big redeeming quality. Uh, and obviously again, that's, that is part of the conflictedness that I feel about the character where I really wanted to, him to just patch things up with his wife, but I knew that wasn't going to happen because we never got to really know who his wife was. She was in the one scene and then that was it. I don't okay, know. well, think about this. Early, uh, you know, okay, spoiler alert. Earlier in the film, for some comedy, uh, Hank Palmer has uh, a makeout session with a hot girl at a bar <laughs> in town shortly after he arrives in town. Yes. And it's just presenting how. Leighton Meester. Yeah, it kind of late. It presents his character as being cavalier. He He's not really. He, he's just a jerk, really. Oftentimes, Hank is a jerk. And it's hard to like him much at all. But this was one of those moments where they were trying to stress that point. How he was manipulating the situation in the bar so that he could attract the hot girl. And he did. So then what happens is later, if he, he learns that this girl he made out with could have been his daughter. And when that happens, it begins to disturb him greatly. And he wants to know. He's dying to know if he is her father. And you assume that if he is the girl's father based on his attitude that he must want to take responsibility for his actions and be a part of her life. Yes. But as soon as he finds out that she's probably not his daughter, but actually his brothers, all of a sudden she, she doesn't matter anymore. All of a sudden she, she's completely uh, uh, thrown away. She's not, she, it doesn't matter. She never comes back into the film. Oh, she's my niece. Oh, so what? Whatever. Oh, okay. See, I didn't get that. I, I'm off the hook. I did not get that impression at all. I did. <laughs> but it was just one of those things where it's kind of like, may, maybe that was one of those things that I felt could have been fleshed out in this movie, but was one of the parts of the, the, the story that the movie didn't have time for. So it got left out because the script didn't have time for it. Yeah. Okay. That's just one of my dislikes. Right. Okay, so um yeah, I mean that's really it's it's really hard to say why this film didn't excel as well as it uh might have for more star power. I'm just not willing to give it a very high ranking because on the whole, yes, it was very uh uh refreshing to see a a decent drama, but it it didn't hold as much engagement for me as say other dramas and I can't really put my finger on any particular one at the second. What am I thinking of? I don't know. Like the last time that a drama really stuck out on my mind was the King's speech. But unfortunately that has an epic quality to it because it involves so much important history that it's easy for that kind of story to become self-important and larger than life than a film like this can. This film cannot do that because it's not historical. It's not based on real people. So it cannot be grow uh, to larger than life's proportions like it could with the King's speech. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. What do you think? Are you ready to share ratings? Yes. Yes, I am. So, I, I'm, yeah. I, I think that this... Uh, oh, by the way, before I do that, um, you want to know what my favorite line in the film is? <laughs> I wrote down one too. You go ahead. Let Everyone wants Atticus Finch until there's a dead hooker in the bathtub. That <laughs> <laughs> was that was an incredible line. Anyway, um, delivered of course by Robert Downey Jr. All right, so I would say 
go see it for that line if nothing else uh the the film is is clever um i found it quite wonderful i did not find it to be cliched it was heartfelt captivating uh good human drama loved just loved the story um i loved the the reconciling of the two you, you know the father and the son and the father coming to understand he you know that that his son you know he has a great son and and the son understanding his father did these things to help him to to for the wrong right reasons the wrong things for the right reasons and he really did love him um, I just love that reconciling. <clears throat> it's not a courtroom drama. It's a family drama with a courtroom in it. And uh, I enjoyed some of the courtroom stuff. They they did a little, just a little bit of that, uh, uh, you know, almost you can't handle a truth style thing there at the end, but not quite that good or not quite that um, <laughs> good is the wrong word. Not not quite that trumped up. Um, but, um, you know, even the film telegraphed how much the film was not about the courtroom by speeding through the procedures half the time and muting out the sound and stuff. Um, it's about these two central characters, their human failings, their reconciliation, and, and how they learn to love and respect each other. It's, it's a fantastic drama, and I give it four and a half out of five stars. Hmm. Okay, and I give it three and a half out of five stars. For how much it, it, uh, it holds water, how much it held my attention... And how much of it I liked from moment to moment. That's a very overall rating. There were definitely moments in this film that I liked a lot for their character performances and for the, just the really good performance that Robert Downey Jr. can bring to the table. Yeah. Uh, Robert Duvall, I, I know he has a great filmography. I don't dislike him, but I don't especially exceptionally like him like him. But for what it is worth, this was one of his more interesting roles to me. And going back to what I alluded to much earlier, there is that uh, small town American charm. And even at times, it's inconsistently presented. So sometimes it's mocked. Sometimes it's it's lauded. And I like it. Like I, I like that kind of quality to it. It's like Harry Potter has its charm simply because it's about a magical world with strange people that have hocus pocus wands. <laughs> and this film has a charm to it merely for happening in small town America that I really enjoy. You do know uh, that in the Harry Potter world, hocus pocus is not a real spell. So yeah, I know. Okay. I know. Um, derailing me. So <laughs> yeah, if you appreciated that particular quality to sweet home, Alabama, uh, I think, again, you'll find it here, even though it's a very different kind of film. It's not a comedy at all. This is not a romance. Joe, I only have one thing to say to you. Go back to your trailer and fry something. <laughs> See, no, I won't quote that movie. <laughs> I, I, it's a fantastic I, I, movie. Maybe I, I, I resent myself for liking it as much as it I do. It is a fantastic movie, <laughs> and I have no problem admitting that. It's a wonderful movie. Okay, you say so. <laughs> Yes, you should, everybody should see Sweet Home Alabama. It's wonderful. Um, yeah. All right, so IMDb rates uh, user rating is 7.8 out of 10, and Rotten Tomatoes critics are at 47% approval rating. Audiences at 81%. We see, again, that huge divide between people who go to see films every week, multiple films a week sometimes, and they get uh, and they talk about cliches, and you wonder why. And then you got the audience at 81%. They love this film. So, um, it's, it's a divide and yet it's weird though, because the audience rating is high and yet the film is not making any money. And that's sad to me. I want to see it do better. So get out there and see this film. <laughs> Go see it again. 
Oh, wow. Yes. I, I would not go there. But. Yes. Yes. All right. Okay. You've got free tickets. Go again. <laughs> no, no, no. It needs to be supported. Um, <laughs> all right. So next week we're going to be talking, Joe, about Kill the Messenger. And we'll return to our normal format with some news beforehand, I assume, and all that good stuff. We actually – I've scheduled three uh, podcasts out tentatively next week, Kill the Messenger, the week after that, Gone Girl, possibly, maybe with Fizz. Uh, and then Interstellar uh, on uh, November the seventh. Uh, those the, the three weeks from now. So assuming right. that I don't get sick or have a relapse or some crazy thing. Okay, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Stop hanging around zombies. Yeah, I'm going to try to do that for sure. So, all right, Joe. Well, it's really good to get back in the saddle, and I really enjoyed talking about these films. Thank you, TJ. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. Oh, uh, see, I really am out of the saddle. We should do um, our closing uh, comments, which is, Joe, um, where can people find you on the Internet? <laughs> Thank you. I-, I was feeling naked without these closing comments. Uh, I would say uh, catch me at my website, joedarnell.com, which redirects it to the new fancy domain name, which I got to just represent I more of the content I saw that just today. And uh, then also catch me on Twitter. I'm underscore Joe Darnell. Yeah, what is your it's, it's in, in intentional sensibility is your new website name. Uh-huh. But but joedarnell.com uh redirects there now. Mm-hmm. And it's the same That's old right. website, which by the way, by the way, um if you go into the mobile view on your site, Joe. I'm doing this live on the show, okay? This this is live. We're not cutting it out. If you click uh, if you go into the mobile view of your site, like just really shrink the window down, your Chrome window or Safari or whatever, and you click menu. Like your your text like slides out of the men, out of the menu. Joe Darnell on intentional sensibility slides on down out of the area there. That, that <laughs> yeah, bothers the, me. It really bothers me too. I would love to have a uh, you know a CSS whiz help me with that. Yeah, because that thing, the whole <laughs> thing needs to expand. I'm just saying. I would be happy with that, TJ. I, just I'm point not gonna, me in the right I, it's, direction. It's Squarespace. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, uh, but it's it, other than that, it's a great there site. There be dragons. It's and uh, yeah, and and you, uh, you know, yeah, your site's great. I read it all the time. Uh, and, and where can we find you, TJ? Yes, thank you, thank you. Um, you can find me at um, moviebite.com. I, I try to write something every day. I just wrote a review of um, The Judge, and last week I wrote a review of The Equalizer. Um, you can find those reviews and more at moviebite.com. We do links and, and news and stuff every day and, and things that are interesting to me, and uh, hopefully they're interesting to you too. Um, if you want to find uh, me on Twitter, you can do that at TJDraperPro. Um, that is my username on Twitter. So if you go to twitter.com slash TJDraperPro, that's where, you're fi- where you will find me there. Thank you for being tongue-tied. And, uh, yeah, the show notes for this episode are at moviebyte.com. That's M-O-V-I-E-B-Y-T-E dot com slash podcast slash 109. And that is it for this week. We will see you next week. Have a fantastic week uh, at the cinema. Thanks for listening.